Amen. Well, how I admire and honor um, those who so willingly go and serve to allow us freedom. Freedom is not free. It is free to us. Others had to fight for it and give their lives. And when someone goes to war to defend their country, they, they don't know if they're coming home or not. There's no guarantee whatsoever. So they go with a commitment that they're going to defend the freedom of the people of their country and are not selfish about it, are selfless about it, and how I appreciate that. Because it is sort of like, a little bit like the Christian life that is supposed to be selfish, selfless. And so we can learn a great deal uh, of those who give their lives to serve us uh, in, 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 any, in any capacity, but certainly in the military and, and otherwise. Since we're talking today about veterans, that's what we're talking about. So we appreciate you. We appreciate all the sacrifices that you've made and that spouses have made and family members have made and parents have made and children have made. So we appreciate it so very much, so very much. Well, we're back in Luke. Let me see. Okay, have a little bit of time. Uh, I, I promise you we'll get out, out of here before 3 o'clock, no problem. Um, so we are in the book of Luke, and last week we, we ended up sort of when Jesus was speaking in the, in the synagogue and reading, and uh, that's where we're going to start uh, again uh, in, let me tell you a verse here. We're looking at verse 18-ish. Uh, yes, 18. And we have dealt with... A couple of those items are ready, but we'll continue with, with the idea of when Jesus spoke. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and so on and so forth. And we, had, we have talked about the fact that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus is saying, and he has anointed me. And we started off in the first of Luke, the fourth chapter, actually the end of chapter 3, that he was baptized and filled with the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit of the Lord led him to the wilderness. He was filled. He was led. He came out of the wilderness after 40 days in the power of the Spirit. He was filled. He was led. He came out in the power of the Spirit. And here he has uh, the Spirit of God is upon him, and he has anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. We dealt with that last week. Um, saying that the poor here doesn't mean just the people that have no money. It is anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ is spiritually poor. And so certainly that is the, the poor with, with no money are included, but certainly the ones who are spiritually poor are the ones that are actually poorer than the ones that uh, have, no, have no money. And we talked about the brokenhearted and we decided my definition of brokenhearted was that someone who had been hurt or uh, betrayed by some, some person who was supposed to take care of them, 
right? You, your father is supposed to take care of you. In the arms of your father, you, it should be the safest place on the face of the earth. And yet he betrayed you in whatever fashion that he did. And you would have a broken heart because of that. One of your best friends betrays you. You'll have a broken heart of that. Now, if there's somebody on the street that I barely know and he betrays me, that's one thing. I, have, I won't have a broken heart about that. But somebody that is close, that is tight, a good friend, a parent, or, or whoever uh, betrays you, then, then people have a broken heart of that. And, but God, God says, Jesus says that he came to heal the brokenhearted. So if you have a broken heart today, he is saying to you that he wants to heal that broken heart. This is not just an interpretation or that I'm slanting the scripture a little bit or move it or spin it in such a way that I can come up with that he came to heal the brokenhearted. Here's what he himself said. That was part of his mission, to heal brokenhearted. And then the next phrase has to do with to proclaim liberty to the captives. So those brokenhearted many times are held captive by the idea that they are brokenhearted. Not only does Jesus want to set you free, but he's saying to you, hey, let me get you out of this prison of, of unforgiveness, this prison that keeps you in, in a prison that is worse than uh, metal bars. There are, you are behind bars, you are in a prison that is worse than metal bars. There, I know people behind metal bars. I've gone to prisons many times to minister to inmates, and some of those say, they have said it with me, first, first person, so I didn't hear it, I didn't read about it. Uh, I read and I heard about it also, but I heard it firsthand that they said to me, I'm more free here than I was out there because I found Jesus and he set me free. Um, so there is, there is a point to, set, to be set free in, in, in the way of forgiveness. And that is sort of where I finished up last week. But then <clears throat> you can go an extra step beyond that. Forgiveness means... You tell them, I won't hold this any longer against you. And I will never bring it up against you ever again. Forgiveness. But then there is a step, an additional step that you can take in that you are going to give them grace. And in grace, not only do you not hold anything against them any longer, but even at your own expense you would give them a blessing freely and joyfully. You would give them a blessing. So that is the extra step. Jesus is not talking about that here, but he's certainly talking about it at other places. So I thought I, I include that. And he, he came to recover the sight to the blind. And here, once again, he's not talking about only people that physically can see. He's not just talking about those. He's talking about those people who, are, who can see spiritually because they are spiritually blind. We know that from the Old Testament that the, the eyes of the Israelites were blinded, but that the blindness was taken away. The veil of blindness was taken away when they received Jesus Christ. So he says, listen, if you are lacking spiritual sight, 
If you cannot see with spiritual eyes, I want to give you sight, spiritual sight, so that you can see and understand spiritual things in a far greater way. And if you were once walking with Jesus, and you saw clearly spiritually, because he uses the word here, recover. And, and, and now you have sort of strayed away a little bit. You, you can hear him. You can see him. You can see the spiritual things that are happening. Then he says, I, I want to recover that sight for you. Oh, Lord, recover our sight, we pray, Father. If there's anyone here today, we pray that you would recover their sight, that they might see clearly not only who you are, but what you do and what you offer to us. That they might walk in those things. In Jesus' name we pray. So, then he goes on to say, uh, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Um, well, there is another translation that King James, my King James says, those who are bruised. Um, so, can James say that in your translation, bruised? Yeah. Those who are bruised. You know, I'm 71 years old. A young guy. Spring chicken. And the one thing I hate the most about getting old. And being someone who has, I don't have a heart condition, but I have undergone a heart surgery uh, because it is not my heart. I got a good heart. But it is, doesn't matter if you have a good heart if your vessels get clogged up, right? <laughs> I mean, so you have, oh, I got a good heart, baby. It's like when I got prepared for the surgery, open heart surgery. The two assistants of the surgeon came, independent from each other, they came into the room. And they said to me, you are the healthiest man we will ever operate upon. I said, okay. <laughs> You're trying to make me feel good. But I was almost the healthiest dead man, <laughs> okay? <laughs> One of my vessels, they have a sort of a funny name for that. The Widowmaker. That baby was over 90% clogged up. So my body produces more plaque than the average person's body. So I have to be, always be careful. So then they gave, you, they gave you blood thinners and these type of things. And with blood thinners comes, you get easily bruised. I hate it. <laughs> I can't stand it. If I bump into something or scrape myself, oh, no, I'm getting a bruise again. And that old person's skin, I hate it. It looks, <laughs> you know, I don't mind being old. I don't mind being 85 or whatever. But that bruise. If I didn't hate it so much, I would actually demonstrate how easily I get bruised by scraping myself a little bit and see, hey, seconds later, there's a bruise. I get easily bruised because of my condition. Some of us get easily bruised spiritually because of our condition. We get so easily bruised by somebody saying something to us, by hanging on and doing things that we know we're not supposed to be doing, that, that we think that good is bad and bad is good, 
and we get involved in all these things that bruises spiritually. And Jesus says, hey, no mas. Over. No more. I want to give you a condition where you don't get easily bruised. And the bruises that you have, done. Praise the Lord. Next says this. And proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Um, when you're looking at the phrase and you're looking up the phrase a little bit, some, some scholars have think that has to do, it is related to the year of Jubilee, whatever. Uh, others think otherwise. I think otherwise. I think this is the year that Jesus proclaimed that this was the year that throughout history, that all mankind that had any spiritual insight whatsoever was looking for. That the Messiah finally was going to come and that he was going to proclaim that he is the Messiah. That it would be known who is the Messiah. And so he says next. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant. You remember? The attendant had given him the book. And uh, it is not like they had Bibles in those days. So you couldn't, they didn't give him a Bible and he looked up the, 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 the scripture he was looking for. They gave him a role. And it just so happened that they gave him the role of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And they didn't have addresses then. They didn't have, you know, chapter 2, verse 12. They didn't have that then. There was no markings like that. So he went through the scroll of the book of Isaiah and then looked up Isaiah 62 verses, 61, verses 1 and 2, and then came up with, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and so on and so forth. And so, but when he said that, so it was not like this thing was pre-planned, and Jesus told him, hey, give me the book of Isaiah. It was the Father who knew what he was, who knew what he was doing, and they hand the attendant, handed him the roll, the scroll of the book of Isaiah, and then he went to this particular verse. And uh, then he handed the book back to him, he sat down and everybody was looking at him. Wow. Wow. And he goes on to say. And he began to say to them. He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. He had gotten, he had gotten their attention, right? It is sort of like, if you will, that let us say uh, uh, Hinda. He comes and he, one of these days he will, uh, he, has, he starts Sunday night and he starts Sunday school and one of these days he'll preach over here. Um, and Hinda comes and he, he preaches and people go, wow, wow, this brother can preach. Well, where has he been? So Jesus spoke like that. He, he got their attention. He fixed their eyes upon him. And then he goes on to say this. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears. What you heard today is the fulfilling of the scripture. And when he said that, let me tell you, everybody knew what he was talking about. Everybody in the synagogue, all the priests, all the, the elders, all the folks over there were, knew that he was saying, I am that person. That he's speaking of. I am the Messiah. A big announcement. 
Verse 22. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? It's like Nicholas coming to preach. And he, he blows you away with his preaching. And then somebody says, well, didn't he just grow up in this church? How, how, how can he preach like that? Just, we know him. Shouldn't, shouldn't he come from somewhere else to preach like that? Is this not Joseph's son? They, they, were, they were thinking, he claims to be the Messiah. How can it be? We, we, we know his family. We know who is our. He, he, he's from us, one of us. How can he be the Messiah? Well, if the Messiah is a living being, they are close to somebody. It's not like he just appeared someplace at 33 or 30 years old, and there he was, the Messiah. He was related to people. He was born here. He was related to people. So, of course, he was close to somebody. But they were trying to think, the Messiah, can he be from here? Then that goes on to say this. And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have done, heard, done in Capernaum, do also here in, this, in your country. So he goes on to say this. You will say to me, I am sure that you will say this to me, if you're not just thinking it, but it's in mind, that there was, don't, don't look too deep for the saying, physician, heal thyself. Okay? There, there is no deep spiritual secret behind that. It was just a proverb that they were using in those days. What is a proverb that we use here? It's not a, a spiritual, not a, a, a proverb from the scriptures, but a proverb that we say. Huh? Don't spit in the wind. Okay. All right. In Africa, there's a proverb that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Makes sense, but it's not a scripture. It is a scriptural idea, but not necessarily word for word a, a scriptural uh, 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 proverb. Uh, or in Africa, there's another proverb that says, "He who climbs a good tree deserves a push." Okay, it is it is a, a true thing. If you're involved in something good, your brothers and sisters should give you a push, should encourage you. But it's not word for word. So this was the proverb that people were speaking of in those days. If you claim to be a physician, why don't you go ahead and heal yourself? We want some proof. And then Jesus answers like this. Then he said, surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. He says, you won't accept me. You won't accept the things that I'm going to do. You won't accept the things that I'm doing. You don't accept who I am. Because I'm from this country. I'll never forget. I went to a tennis conference. Too many, too many of them, but this in particular. And the speaker was a pro from a resort in one of the Carolinas. One of the Carolinas. And he was 
he was shaming us a little bit. Because he says, you know what? Your members, they come to my resort, and they buy equipment, and they buy outfits from me, when I charge them more than you charge them. I laughed at myself. I said to myself, I need to take better care of the members of where I'm working. I was working at King's Crossing at the time. And it seems like people, maybe you don't know the same people as I do, but some of the people that I know, they go buy something out of town and think it is better just because they bought it out of town. But they paid more over there than they pay over here. Yeah, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. You, you're thinking the Messiah needs to come from wherever. He's right from here. But he's not accepted in his own country. Then he gives two examples. He gives an example of Elijah and an example of Elisha. And he says this. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut for three and a half years and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But, he says, but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Seraphat in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There was no need having Elijah go to Israel and heal and, 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 and take care of widows because he was, they would not be accepted. A prophet is not accepted in his own land. So we sent him to Seraphath to go take care of a widow. Then he gives another example with Eli. Sure. And he says, hey, it is not like there were no lepers in Israel. There were plenty of lepers in Israel. But because a prophet is not honored in his own land, Naaman came. Naaman the Syrian came and was healed by Elijah. A prophet is not honored in his own land. That is why you're treating me this way and you want to see this and you want to see that. But he says, he doesn't say that, he just did it. He didn't give them what they wanted. The the the, the miracles that he had done at Capernaum, they wanted him to do it in Nazareth where he was there now. Excuse me. But when he gave them the example of Elijah and Elisha, instead of seeing that they were not open to a prophet from their own country, they got upset. And they wanted to kill Jesus. So a mob came and then just pushed him to the edge of town and the town was built on a hill, and they were going to smite him and throw him off the hill to kill him. And he just turns around and walks in, in between the crowd and goes, goes his way, and he ends up in Capernaum. And in Capernaum, as his custom was, he would go to the synagogue to preach and teach and to read. And there he goes. So now, so all those in the synagogue when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They got upset. Instead of thinking, you know what? Oh, I should change my mind about this thing, about honoring a prophet from my own country. I should honor a prophet from my own country. But they were upset, and, and they, wrath, filled with wrath, and rose him and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, 
that he might throw him down over the cliff. Done with him. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now we're finding him in Capernaum. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. In an earlier passage we had read that this was his custom. And I'd ask you then, what is your custom on Sundays? His custom was on the Sabbath day to go to the synagogue. Is your custom to, to go to your kind of synagogue, the church? Is that your custom? Well, <laughs> I must tell you, after I got, I got saved, that was my custom. This was not right what I did, but I did it. I just thought that that's the way it's supposed to be. If I'm going to claim to be a Christian, then Sundays I'm in church. So when we were on vacation, I'd make sure we come back home on Sunday to be at church. <coughs> we were on vacation. What happened to We would have gone to church over there. But I want to be at church with my people. <laughs> so it didn't sit too well with everybody, but okay. <laughs> that, that's what was my understanding was at the time. And that's what, I, what my, my heart's desire was. So uh, I'm not saying that what you, it's what you have to do. If you're on vacation, you stay over there and you go to church over there, okay? Don't, don't fly back to Corpus Christi just to go to church over here. <laughs> for two Sundays, I was in Suriname. I couldn't fly back over here for Sunday to the church over here. So, but that, that's just where I was. And, uh, and verse 32 says this. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with Power with authority. This is something to grab a hold of because it is not everybody that teaches or preaches that preaches with power. There could be two people that say exactly the same thing. One with power, one without. And so this is something to, to grab hold of because if this is my desire, that I'm filled with the Spirit of God, that I'd be led by the Spirit of God, that I might walk in the power of the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God would be upon me, that I would have His, uh, his uh, 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 how do you call it? The engine of the Spirit, and that when you speak, that it be with power. Power that would penetrate people. Not just power that go, and it's just like a shower. It just comes off your, off your body. It just hits you, but it's gone. It hits you, it's gone. No, a power that would penetrate people's hearts for Jesus. That is my desire. That's where I want to be. Like Jesus, that my word would be with power. And his was. How wonderful that the Spirit of God gives you power to speak His Word. Oh. I, I, I must tell you, could you look up 1 Corinthians, the 
second chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3 or 4, something like that. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Because I think, this is just my opinion. I just want to preface what I'm saying. This is my opinion. It is my opinion that many people in the church, they don't know what they are supposed to want. It's like me. Sometimes I don't know what I'm supposed to want. I want ice cream. I'm supposed to want fruit. Okay. And then, because of the wants of the people, okay, like when you have a party at your house, you don't just give carrots and salad and, you know, those vegetables and fruits. You give cake, some of that sweet stuff that is not good for you. But you give it because that's what the people like. So in the church, often preachers give what they think the people like. But not necessarily what they need. So everybody who has a big church that parents, never mind that the church is filled with babies. Nobody's grown up. But they have a lot of them. Can you imagine? Thankfully, we don't have that over here. But some places, can you imagine what could happen? What consternation would happen? A place full of babies? Ask the nursery workers. If there would be 12 babies in there, how they would handle it, let alone 20 babies in there. So, so the preachers, they give to the people what they think the people like. Eloquent words. I have an advantage there. I don't know eloquent words. <laughs> I don't even speak your language. <laughs> eloquent words, forget it. Eloquent words, wonderful form. Let's look at, at, at what Corinthians says over there. He says, for I determined, this is Paul speaking, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then verse 3 says this, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Verse 4 says this, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. He didn't want to speak eloquently to anybody. He wanted just to speak with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on to say this. We can stay here too long because uh, we have... That your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. So here I come and I make a tremendous presentation. But delivery, that's the, that's the word that they use, the delivery, eloquent words, words of not God's wisdom, but of man's wisdom. Whoa, how impressed they are. And Paul said, I don't give a hoot about that. 
what I want is to speak with the power of the Spirit of God. My dear brothers and sisters, I'd rather have a lousy sermon with the power of God behind it than a great sermon that is powerless. Nothing. Nothing of the Spirit of God behind it. I'm not saying that this is true for everybody. I'm I'm just saying that's what I want. The power of God in my speaking and preaching. Even when I'm talking with somebody, I will speak with wisdom of God and not with the wisdom of man. Okay, where were we? <laughs> Sorry, we have, we have still a few more minutes. I'm trying to finish this up a little bit here so we can, uh, can go to other places. Filled with wrath, and he came and he went to Capernaum, and his word was with power. We are at verse, verse 33. This is an interesting thing. Come back soon, sister, you don't want to miss this. Now in a synagogue, she's like a daughter to me, so I can joke with her a little bit. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of unclean demon. And he cried with a loud voice. I don't want to spend too much time over here. I'm afraid I'll freak you out. So I'm just going to give you a little bit, and then, I move, then, then, and then we're done. I, I, I don't want to freak you out. I'm serious. Um, so let me give you a little bit more. There was a man with an unclean demon. They are almost always unclean. But let me tell you, give you some more information about demons. They are spirits, messengers of Satan, and there are many. This is not just one or two. There are many, many, many. And they are fast. They are invisible till they enter people or, 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 or animals. Able to enter and control man and beast and seek embodiment which empowers them to do evil. They, they are looking always for embodiment because just in the air, they, 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 they can't do as much damage as they are when they are in, are in people or in, or in animals. Demons influence and... Uh, demon influence and possession are differentiated in Scripture. Demons are unclean, violent, sullen, and malicious. They know Jesus Christ as the most high God and recognize his supreme authority. The power of Jesus Christ is the only power that can overcome them. Period. So I want to say to you, don't go mess with them in your own strength. They're going to laugh at you and they might even beat you up. They might even undress you and let you run naked. Sorry, maybe I shouldn't freak you out. Let's go to the book of Acts. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Don't mess with them, is what I'm trying to tell you. Acts 19, verses 13 through 16. I have in my Bible. Ha, ha, ha. That's what I have in my Bible. Right there in the, in the, in the, in the, in the deal. Then some, they had seen that some of the apostles, like Paul, they had exercised some demons out of people, right? And they thought, oh, this is a good deal. Maybe we can even charge for this. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits. 
saying, so actually they went to look up some of those people who had uh, evil spirits. And, and saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Check this out, verse 14. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. These are the seven sons of Sceva. 15 says this. And the evil spirit answered, said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? Verse 16. Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I have by my, in my Bible and in the, in the side thing, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you you want to go mess with them? Hey, if you don't have the power of Jesus behind you, don't mess with them. Yeah. They're going to mess with you. Yeah. So, we go back to the, the synagogue. I, I'm just about done, folks. So, uh, they cried with a loud voice. That is how they operate. When we go to a restaurant and I have lunch, I'm going with, with somebody and have lunch, I often, or dinner, I often ask the waitress or the waiter if, hey, we are fixing to ask a blessing on the food. Can we ask a blessing? Can we pray anything for you? Your, you know, your, your job, your family, your school, education, whatever. And for the most part, probably 95 out of 100 would say, oh, sure. And some would even hold hands with us and pray. It is a quiet affair. But can you imagine if you were in a restaurant and somebody who was demon-possessed would come up and they, the demon in that person recognizes Jesus and you and they make a loud noise. They carry on. Who are you over here? What are you doing over here? And you need to do something about it. They'll call the police on you. It wouldn't be a quiet affair, my brothers and sisters. They, it's always a loud noise that they're making, especially when they're coming out. He cried with a loud voice. And verses 34 says that, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Every one of those knows who Jesus is. Like I, I'm coming back real quick to when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. And he says, if you are the son of God, then change this rock, this stone into, into bread. If you are the son of God, and I explained to you then, the word if over there doesn't mean hypothetical. He's not saying, are you the son of God or are you not the son of God? He knew who, exactly who he was. This demon knew exactly who Jesus was. And Satan, when he was tempted, he, so the best translation is not, if you are the Son of God, it is, since you are the Son of God. He knew very well that this was the Son of God. There's no doubt about it. He knows exactly who the one is that has authority over him in every way. And so, and he says, you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says to him, hey, shut up, be quiet. Get out. Get out of him. Guess what happened? He got out. He was gone. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, threw the man in the midst, says, here he is, it came out of him and did not hurt him. 
Verse 26, and then, then I think we're through. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is. The word this is, uh, uh, what a word this is. The, 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 is, the word is, is italicized, it's not in the original language, but, but it, it is therefore easier understanding. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Done. They come out. So my dear brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, not only to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the power of the Spirit, that He would be upon you and anoint you with power, that you might have the power of God in your life. To speak His word with power and authority, and if need be, don't go mess with Him. Don't go mess with them. If need be, if the situation presents itself, that you also would be able to get rid of the bad boys. Don't go by yourself. Always take someone with you. Don't go by yourself. If there's a call and somebody says, this and this is happening, you know, boom, make a call and ask somebody to go with you. Hey, brother, Bring some of that oil with you. Bring some of that oil with you. And let's go. Did I freak you out? I hope not. This is the scripture that I was just speaking about here. I didn't make up a story just to tell you something about these bad boys. But they're bad boys. Don't mess with them, folks. Whatever games that you're playing as little kids or as young people or as older people, don't play those games. You don't want to invite those bad boys. They are not, they have only your demise in their system. So call somebody who you think that can address such a a situation and then uh, let someone handle it. I want to I wanna end on a nicer note. <laughs> Let me pray for a 